0: You're listening to Money and Meaning, Unlikely Allies Building New Markets for Impact, with your hosts, Lindsay Smalling and Alex Kravitz. Check out our website, socialcapitalmarkets.net. Let's join the conversation. Welcome back to Money and Meaning. This is your host, Lindsay Smalling. On this episode, I'll be interviewing some unlikely allies working together to address gaps in workforce development. We follow this theme of unlikely allies because it can be illuminating in so many ways. Partnerships are full of challenges, even when you're working with longtime collaborators. But when we find examples of organizations or individuals that are partnering in ways that seem outside of the norm, usually because they're reaching outside of their sector or they're taking a fresh look at a well-recognized problem, it has so many insights, both because it shows innovative solutions and exposes also why these partnerships can be really challenging and slow to get off the ground. So I'm excited to have with us here Iskayra Jimenez, founder and CEO of LaborX. Iskaira was a 2014 Echoing Green fellow and also an entrepreneur in residence with Google for Entrepreneurs, and I've known Iskayra for many years, and Orion Willis, who is a senior workforce development specialist for the city and county of San Francisco in their TechSF program, which we'll learn a little bit more about. So to start us off, um, Iskara, can you tell us a little bit about LaborX, why you started it, where the need was apparent to you?
1: Sure, so I started LaborX for two reasons. The first is a labor of love for my oldest brother who didn't have a degree and so really struggled to find living wage work to take care of himself and his family. Um, And so him not having that access to a good job made me go into education initially after college. um, I had a degree and so I felt like I had the option, but also the responsibility to help people like my brother. And I ended up working at a startup. Um, It was a high impact tutoring company, trying to help people like my brother do better in school, do better in their tests and then um, graduate. Uh, And I had a couple of realizations doing that work. The first was that so many smart, hardworking people like my brother weren't gonna graduate and even if many who did graduate were going go to go into college but not graduate um, and so many of them were going to enter the workforce without a degree uh, and without the training they needed to get a good job but there wasn't a clear pathway of okay I'm not gonna go to college at 18 um, how do I enter the workforce and not get stuck in a minimum wage job so. I realized that there needed to be a pathway for people like my brother. And then I realized that most of the workforce in this country are people like my brother. So two thirds of the workforce does not have a college degree. And so that was the first reason. First, it started as a labor of love. How do I help someone like my brother go to college, get a good job, and then realize that college is not right for everyone at 18? And as I was working at this company, I had the challenge and the opportunity of building a team of 300 people that I had to oversee. So we tutored 10,000 students across the country. And finding talent um, was a challenge that a lot of my peers were facing. I got very creative. I went into my community and went into churches and salons and just different places where I could find people who had you know, a strong work ethic, who were reliable and could, could do the work that needed to be done. And oftentimes those people, you know, didn't speak English, uh, but I didn't need them to. They just needed to help me register parents and so people that other parents respected. Uh, and so I was very successful as a result, but my peers, my the other directors who were running programs were struggling because they couldn't find this talent on LinkedIn, on Monster, on Indeed, even on Craigslist. Um and so I thought, what could I do, you know, to help other people who are building teams, find people like my brother? So at that point, it was a big aha. I had first been looking at this problem from the point of view of my brother, who had a hard time entering the workforce. But then as a hiring manager myself, uh, building a team, I got to see the the challenge and the opportunity of finding quote, unquote non-traditional talent to so people who maybe don't follow the traditional pathway to get to the workforce uh, and so that's how laborx came to be we wanted um, we've uncovered the two biggest barriers for people where sometimes a four-year degree and the lack of strong networks to get a good job so we want so we set out to build a talent platform that was skill based that was tapping into this innovative, talent that was being trained by an ecosystem of workforce programs, but
0: we're going on
1: top, or flying under the radar for most employers.
0: And I think it's interesting how you've ended up with a tech solution to something that actually the problem is very much reinforced right now by technology. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yes. So I think uh, technology initially, um, so if you look at LinkedIn, it's based off of your social capital, right? And so what do you know? Can you get an intro to a person who can get you an intro who could potentially maybe help you get a job somewhere? And so if you don't go to college, oftentimes you're not, you know, well to do. You don't have very strong networks of people who work in the places you want to work. And you find that these algorithms for a lot of these job boards are looking for, you know, keywords like this degree or this activity or this GPA or recruiters are trying to follow a formula that says, you know, someone who graduated from these, you know, 30 schools who work at these 30 companies and who get a referral from someone in our company. Um, so the top 10% of the top 10 schools, you know, and so you need networks or you need degrees to kind of be picked up by these algorithms. And I learned that by one of our job seekers who went to an IT training program in the Bronx. He ran an experiment and he said, you know, I was dropping resumes everywhere and never getting a call back. And I kind of hacked my resume and in white letters, you couldn't see it. I put in like MIT and Harvard and whatever. And then he started getting callbacks everywhere. And I was like, you know what's really interesting is that I think employers would want someone who would think outside of the box like that to like really prove a point, right? And so, it you know that was reinforced. It's like this person couldn't, you know, Otherwise, he had all the skills he needed, but he didn't have that magic, you know, credential from a from a top <laughs> university. Um, and so these algorithms that are just built by people who, you know, have a somewhat homogenous experience that went to college went maybe to a top school and are looking for things that their peers have. Um, you know, everyone doesn't have the same formula or the same makeup, uh, and it's not due to ability, it's due to opportunity. A lot of people can't afford the cost of going to college right away or not working. so. Um, so yeah, it was a problem. I think that is exacerbated by technology. And so we're like, okay, how do we how do we hack bias? Basically, well, let's do away with the degree and the referral being the first entry points for someone, and then instead look at their skills, their work samples, you know, um, their ability, basically.
0: Yeah, no, that's it's great. I think um, who builds the technology actually builds so much bias into the way it's created. Um, so also with us here today, we have Orion Willis, who is our unlikely ally collaborator in this example. Um, and Orion has worked in workforce development for his whole career, really. So Orion, maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, your career in workforce development, and how you ended up with TechSF.
2: Sure, um, so it was uh, kind of an unlikely career path. I think most people in workforce development don't go to college for that profession. Um, I went to school for urban studies and planning. Um, afterwards, I was struggling to finding a job, so I went to a local nonprofit here in the Mission, Mission Hiring Hall, um, you know, for help with resume and interviewing skills, etc. Uh, really hit it off with the staff. They ended up hiring me. Worked there for a few years, kind of worked my way up. Went over to Mission Economic Development Agency here in San Francisco to start a workforce program. Um, and, you know, as a part of that, we started some tech training programs because we noticed the opportunity locally in that, in that sector. Um, and then this position opened up at the uh, Office of Economic and Workforce Development locally uh, with TechSF. And I made the switch about three years ago and really happy to, to be at TechSF today.
0: And I don't know when people hear TechSF if they'd automatically understand sure. that connection to economic development. Um, Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about TechSF and how that fits into why that makes sense for San Francisco.
2: Sure. So um, back in 2012, uh, Mayor Ed Lee and the Office of Economic and Workforce Development uh, created TechSF in response to the the awesome growth of the local tech sector. Um, And there was all this opportunity being developed locally, but a lot of those leads were not being extended to San Franciscans. Um, So we started with three goals. One was to to provide access to technology for San Franciscans. Um, In addition to that was to provide access to tech training. Um, And then lastly was to develop a uh, a pipeline and and kind of meet the demands, uh, both present and future, through our our tech training cohorts. What that looks like today is we fund 13 local training providers and partner with uh, Unified School District, San Francisco City College, and San Francisco State University um, to really uh, skill people up and and get them competitive for local tech jobs.
0: And so when when you're working with TechSF and you're finding these people who have skills or you're providing the skills. How does how did this collaboration with LaborX come to be, and how is that sort of solving a problem that you were seeing in doing the work that TechSF sought to do?
2: Yeah, so I think you Skyder touched on this um, earlier. Uh, we've had a lot of success in TechSF. We've placed more than 2,500 people into local jobs or paid internships. Um, those outputs are uh, far more diverse than what you're seeing in the tech sector, so... Uh, 14% uh, African-American, uh, 18% Latinx, um, which is is way more diverse than what you're going to see locally and nationally. Um, but at the end of the day, we still were having challenges placing all of our folks. And I think a part of that is that people did not have that network that he's kind talked about. Um, and we didn't have the technological solution to be able to direct employers' to a database that has all of our talent on it. Um, so something that we had been hearing feedback from our local industry uh, partners for a long time, like, you know, sending us resumes from your the CBOs is not um, proficient. Um, something that we, we we knew we needed. And um, my manager, Patrick Mitchell, met Eastguider at a, conference
1: some time ago? Yeah, well, um, so part of our team was at a roundtable um, around the innovating workforce, and so we had a meeting with Patrick, the workforce director at the time, and talked about what it look like to just run a, a pilot um, and get a couple of graduates from some of these innovative programs uh, that are doing great training and are reaching uh, lower opportunity folks, so folks who don't have those strong so be they opportunity youth or veterans or immigrants but all local um, talent and and we did that um, you know we had a big conference called beyond the degree where we tried to explain the value proposition to employers to look beyond the degree and and tap into this innovative workforce ecosystem we invited I think over 20 training providers came um, and we wanted to flip the, the power dynamic, and so instead of job seekers going to employers like every job fair out there and having to like sell yourself, like how about we get the employers to come and learn about all the training providers um, and learn about you know the opportunity that way, and then if there's interest and demand, you know then a partnership, a formal partnership with the city of San Francisco would make sense Um, and so they put out an RFP we applied and we're now you know working together to basically create that clearinghouse of talent from you know they identify the training providers um, for training and demand folks for apprenticeships um, and you know full-time with the goal of it being full-time employment uh, and we basically work with those training providers to help their graduates build Robust portfolios that include not only your traditional resume but work samples, scale data, any relevant industry certifications, and sometimes even a video resume, so that employers can really get a feel.
0: So both of you know that there's so many qualified candidates that because of bias, because of the degree, because of the resume, don't get those entry points. Um, But how many of the employers know it? So how is the conversation going with employers to get them to see that they don't need to use degree as a first point of filtering?
2: Yeah, I mean, I generally direct a lot of folks to different uh, studies that show um, how diversity correlates to innovation, which correlates to, um, you know, Uh, profits essentially right and I think it's unfortunate that it it comes to that but when you can get companies to understand that they're leaving a lot of money on the table by not um, hiring more diversely it really gets their their attention
1: yeah I would echo what he said I think if, if you make the business case to employers I think when you talk about diversity you know some people know that it's the right thing to do and others are like oh Uh, we already have diversity of thought and diversity of, you know, like diversity is defined very broadly. um, And folks, you know, sometimes feel like they have it, um, but not very explicit, right? Uh, Diversity of gender, race, socioeconomic status, of degree. And, you know, when you look at all the research, McKinsey, Harvard, um, business review, all of it, like, not only do you get more innovation, more productivity, but you know these teams help companies make more money and also help improve morale, which then lowers turnover, which it's a reinforcing cycle of saving companies money. So we try to lead with that because what we find sometimes is, um, if you just focus on like you know this is the right thing to do, which it is the right thing to do, you'll have companies who will maybe have like a flagship. Corporate social responsibility partnership, right? Um, you know, they're like there's a company out here who had supported one of these providers, had hired eighty of their of their in, of their graduates as intern, but never made a full time offer at the time that we started. And so it's like, okay, how do we get this from like something good and you're supporting like the youth to like, no, actually, this is what our business needs so that we make better products and we don't have a lot of those. Um, you know, gaps that turn into fiascos and nightmares for companies, whether it's around gender or race
0: or you know, things like that. Well, speaking of that, I mean, there have been quite a few of those gaps and <laughs> yeah. fiascos in Silicon Valley, but in other industries as well lately, um, saying, you know, release your statistics on how many women you have, how many people of color you have. Um, has that sort of opening of the coat or I mean in a lot of cases it seems like it was the first time that a lot of these companies even looked at that data for themselves that maybe their awareness levels even within their own companies and certainly as an industry has been heightened have you seen that change the the dialogue between you and employers
1: I think so I mean I think it's it's been a slow process I feel like Google kind of led you know they were one of like the big Name companies who came out and published that data. And, you know, the data wasn't flattering. It was like 1% Black and 3% Latinx. And so, in a country that, you know, in less than 20 years, Black and Latinx or non white folks are going to be the majority. And this is a majority, minority state. Um, so, I think setting that standard, other companies then followed and realized, okay, Let's, you know, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Yes, this is an issue. Now let's get to work. But I think figuring out how to get to work um, proved that, you know, there were opportunities for a lot of companies, but also challenges. And I think the companies that kind of went ahead and started apprenticeship programs. And and I saw that happening a lot over the last two years, which I think um, maybe they weren't initially formally registering them with the Department of Labor, but they were starting their own like LinkedIn comes to mind. They started um, their apprenticeship program. I remember talking to them about it and they're like, you know, we were just, we got 400 applications in like very little time and we were blown away by the quality of the talent. And now we're doubling down and like, you know, and we're like, well, we knew this all along, uh, but it's nice that, you know, the companies are are, are starting to, um, to innovate and, you know, they were running these pilot apprenticeship programs. And so now I feel, That when, you know, the mayor's office holds these employer roundtables, people are coming into the conversation with, uh, okay, the research says it, and we knew we had a problem when we started releasing data or realizing we didn't even capture the data, but now we're seeing successful models. Twilio, you know, has been like a, a huge leader. You can chime in. But I think now that like some companies have like stepped up and like started apprenticeship programs and realized that this is not just up to par, but sometimes even better than the talent they're bringing into the traditional pipelines. They're like, okay, we actually need to reevaluate whether we need degrees for any and all of our jobs. And so it's comforting to see Google and Apple finally kind of getting there and IBM kind of dropping degree requirements. I still think we have a way to go, um, but
0: um, but we're getting there. Are you seeing the conversation change? Yeah,
2: no, I I completely agree. I think Just as a whole, companies are a lot more creative right now around sourcing talent because uh, they're really feeling this like hiring squeeze. So, there's they're getting hit from two angles. There's the the negative kind of PR that companies are getting who are releasing their data, but at least they're doing that and they're saying, Hey, this is something that we want to address. Um, And then there's also the issue of colleges just not graduating people quick enough. So, I would say over the last couple of years, um, we get a lot more positive responses from companies, uh, which is great around, uh, you know, hey, we do have this local local pipeline for you Um, and you can onboard them through internship or apprenticeship, et cetera. Um, We've got this kind of like, let's strike while the iron is hot uh, feeling right now, because I think in a down economy, we might not be having this conversation and we we really want to get in there, uh, develop this proof of concept right now with employers so that in the future they know that they can always come to these different uh, uh, local training providers for talent.
0: And so I want we've been talking a lot about these partnerships with the employers, but there's actually something really interesting in the partnership between you two because I know a lot of entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs who have these amazing solutions that are often born out of places where no offense, they've seen government not quite fill what, what they hoped it would. Um, but then once they get something up even and sort of running, they actually need that partnership with government to take it to any sort of meaningful scale. And so, um, Orion, when you, when you and Patrick met Iskaira, um, were you ready to work with an entrepreneur at a relatively early stage or did that seem a little outside of the comfort zone?
2: Sure. I mean, we, we had identified, you know, this, this need and um, it was right around the same time that we got this uh, Department of Labor grant for registered apprenticeship. And we have really um, high goals around placing, you know, several hundred apprentices over the next few years. 75% of whom will be underrepresented minorities. So women, people of color, people with disabilities, veterans, etc. And we knew that we were not going to meet those goals through our kind of status quo of having our CBO send resumes, et cetera. Clarify, our, sorry, what is the CBO? Oh, community-based organization. Great, um, And, you know, LaborX came along and had... Uh, very explicit goals around um, let's let's source specifically underrepresented talent and and get them all onto a platform where we can, you know, then go and market them to local industry. Um, And so I don't know that we were we were ready at that day that, you know, we met Iskara, but, um, you know, As it came time for us to kind of look at our funding for the next couple of years, we said, this is something that we want to write into an RFP. And uh, luckily, uh, LaborX responded. If you're enjoying this conversation and want to hear more interviews with business leaders who are working towards creating more inclusive economies, check out the podcast Next Economy Now. I was just listening to a really interesting interview they did with Paul Pullman, the former CEO of Unilever, where he talks about the role of corporations in driving systemic change. And I highly recommend checking it out. So once again, that's next economy. Now find it wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And for you, you um, were you ready to work with government or was that sort of your plan when you created LaborX to have a partner like the city of San Francisco? Yeah.
1: So I think having come from working with another big system like the public education system and oftentimes the largest public education systems in the country. So I work you know, in New York City, in Chicago, all in Florida, kind of all over in California. Um when I look at a lot of my peers who are trying to build tech solutions, they, they talk about a more simplified version of the story. It's like, oh, you know, schools are failing people, government failing people, so let's bring tech in as a solution. Um, and I'm like, well, the people who are out here invested in the success of, you know, in public education and in workforce are local community-based organizations and government. Um, I actually think there's an opportunity to work with government and help them make them more efficient. And, you know, how do we like digitize and and optimize and just create better systems so that people don't have to go through, you know. Um, So what we heard from employers, for example, was that that's great that there's this talent pool that we're not tapping into, but we don't have the resources to engage directly with 200 training organizations that in the city like we just we don't you know and sometimes it's easier we'd rather go pay and post on linkedin even though we're not getting the type of talent because it's easier um and so we're like okay so if it was easy to tap into this talent then you would is that what i'm hearing and so you know it's where i wanted to get down there and they would say yes We're like, okay great we're gonna do the work of building this from the bottom up as opposed to like how do we trickle this down and, you know, create an AI chatbot or like a scraper that like looks for this, you know, and just gets everyone. And, and my point is that I think you need both approaches, right? So I think in grad school, you know, I had an advisor who wrote a book. His name is Eric from Johnson at MIT. Uh, the second machine age is called. And, you know, his research basically, you know, we're all kind of scared of the robots coming, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, And he said, you know, what his research showed is like, yes, the robots are coming, um, but actually we are better off when robots and machines work, when people and and machines work together. Um, So it's still a long ways away before robots can do everything that humans can do. Um, And there's this bias to getting, you know, everyone let's say to to be a data scientist or to even be a coder we are focusing on those jobs those are all really good jobs but there are still a bunch of other jobs that humans can still do way better than machines and will be able to do for a long time and so how do we train people using technology to do those jobs more efficiently whether it's cybersecurity now right like we're in the constant threat of hacking. Like, how do we train people to do that? Or even sales. Like, how do we use technology to more effectively reach the people who want the things we want? And there are programs training people in that, whether so it's a Salesforce admin, or tech sales, or product management, project management. And so, um, anyway, back to, to to your original question, I always seen the opportunity. Like, we're not going to be able to solve this problem unless we work with the training providers and local government. I think they understand this work way better than we can. You know, I came from this work from sealing a lot of people failing out of the traditional K-12 system and not being able to make it to the post-secondary, traditional post-secondary, but I saw this big opportunity. I was like, wow, we actually have over 40,000 programs in this country serving you know over 40 million people and so how but those people are not being served right they're they're looked at as like oh they're low skilled, or you know they don't command maybe those high placement fees that recruiters invest in Um, but for me these are the people that I love my community people that I grew up with and quite frankly from a business perspective two-thirds of the workforce seems to me like we need to be investing in the majority of Um, skilling up, and then um, meaningfully being matched to to jobs. So to me, the only way to do that was actually in concert with the trainers, the the ecosystem partners, which were, you know, local government, some foundations, and also the employers. Like, we can't just do this with employers or with training providers or with government. We need to do this all together. And now our platform is a three-sided platform for job seekers, training providers, and employers.
0: Yeah, I think those cross sector collaborations, it's hard sometimes to do because you have sort of your particular right. approach and skill set and set of tools. And so you sometimes don't see your blind spots or don't see um, aren't able to move in the way that that a different partner would move. I feel that all the time that, you know, the sort of if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you yeah. want to go far, go together. It yeah. takes <clears throat> So much more work to go together, but you right. can actually get. And so right, much which farther. for
1: us, you know, as an for me as an entrepreneur, it was a slower way to build this company, and also wasn't always attractive to potential funders. Like, well, are you are going to be able to make money and exit, in you know, five years? And I'm like, well, I will. I be able to help people get jobs
0: more efficiently. Yes, and if I do that, then I can probably build a thriving business. So, yeah. And then on the, on the government side, I mean, there's definitely huge opportunities to working within government scale is one that I mentioned, but I'm sure there's tons of other ones. What, were some of the, what are some of the challenges that, you know, within the broader TechSF? Um, you know, there's funding cycles, there's some of these other things.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, we talked about it earlier, but I think um, the biggest challenge that we have is kind of counterintuitive. Uh, we're in the tech mecca and we're training people for tech jobs, but these companies have uh, the resources to hire whoever they want from anywhere in the world. And they don't necessarily have entry level jobs. Most of their jobs require these two years of tr- experience. And that's not what we're able to provide our folks through these community based organizations. Um, and, you know, this, this kind of risk averse hiring culture that, that, uh, is employed locally is the biggest challenge that we have. So tech, uh, so the tech workforce here in San Francisco is less diverse than the national average, Mm. which is, is unacceptable. Um, we we feel that San Francisco is like this beacon of hope for the rest of the, the country. And, um, we want to kind of expand that that hope to our, our local residents through through training and, and job opportunities, and I think um, one of the the solutions that we found is apprenticeship, and it and it, it creates this public private partnership that we were just talking about, where you're taking, you know, what what do companies need? Like, what skills do they actually need? Um, and then locally who has those skills or the aptitude to learn those skills over the course of a year or two year long apprenticeship. And then you pair that with the educational system. So while you're at work, occasionally you're going to take classes. At the end of this program, you will be fully proficient in this occupation and it's it's a win-win. So if two thirds of the country um, are not graduating college today, to assume that those two thirds of the country are not; uh, they don't have the attitude to to perform technical roles. is is really short sighted, and um, I think a lot of the work that we are doing locally is just to try to educate local employers about the opportunity that is sourcing from you know non traditional pathways through apprenticeship um, and working with with Tech-Seph in a, a public private partnership.
0: So we've obviously um, focused a lot on this specific partnership, but just want to give you both an opportunity to give us the big picture. So um, in the broader scheme of LaborX, what other geographies, partnerships are on the horizon, if you can talk about them? Yes,
1: for sure. Uh, So the vision that we are striving towards is, working in partnership with local government, foundations, workforce investment boards, to really innovate the the local workforce city by city. So what does it look to come in and transform working together with every player in the system to ultimately benefit the job seeker and employers? Um, How do we help people um, enter the middle class in a meaningful way? Um, and so for us, we've started here, you know, this is a tech mecca. And so we've been able to find partners in government, in private industry, in you know, um, community-based organizations who are willing to, to co-create this. You know, like you said, I'm an early stage entrepreneur. And so we don't have, a, you know, we didn't have everything built out. But, you know, in partnership, we realized, okay, what are the things that are valuable to all parties? And then we can build that really quickly. Um, and so... We want the diversity of the workforce to to reflect the diversity of, you know, of this city. That's kind of our goal and doing that city by city. So we're doing that here. We've recently launched in LA as well. And so California has been so welcoming um, and kind of ready to do this work. Uh, And we have a couple of other cities in the pipeline where um, where we're in preliminary talks. How do we do this in New York City, and Philadelphia, and Boston. So, Philadelphia has the highest poverty rate of you know of of a, of a major city in this country. Um, you know, New York City also tons of income inequality. These are some cities with like some of the most thriving ecosystems of you know tech or employment ecosystems. Um, But don't always match the opportunity for everyone there. So, uh, you know, launching in LA now and then a couple of cities in the Northeast. And really, we're working with Local Government Foundation in LA. We're working with the Annenberg Foundation. Um, You know, they have this initiative called Pledge LA, where they're um, trying to get companies on board with helping make LA a better place to live and work, which I think at the end of the day is what every local government's trying to do. Um, And so, how do we bring people together? Talk about the challenges, the opportunities, and then co-create the solutions that are going to get everyone, you know, what they need to to thrive. Our companies need the talent to thrive. Talent needs good, you know, jobs. Um, And then hopefully, you know, um, when we correct a lot of the friction in this ecosystem, um, we go on to solve other issues that are created.
0: And Orion, what are you seeing for? San Francisco for TechSF, what are beyond the partnership with LaborX?
2: Sure. I mean, I think just to piggyback on that, I think we want to see more uh, more locals. And, 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 and what I mean when I say locals, locals are diverse here. So we want to see that reflected in the in the tech sector. Um, we want local companies to really understand that we're providing a business solution. This isn't like charity or philanthropy. This is going to help them solve a a challenge that they have. Um, I I think we want to develop this proof of concept that we can then share with our regional partners. Um, There's a lot of interest coming out of the East Bay, out of the South Bay, the peninsula. Um, And a lot of those uh, folks are looking to us um, for some guidance and direction here. And so we feel like there's some pressure, but it's it's good pressure. Um, And yeah, we just really want to see a community that's that's uh, experiencing fully the benefits that the tech sector has created.
0: I'm so glad that both of you are here with us today. The two things that really stick out for me from this conversation are one, the very personal connection that you both have to these conversations. And I think when we have gaps. It's so often because people are coming into a problem that they haven't really lived or experienced. They don't understand the nuances of it. And and those gaps and the friction are the other piece that just seeing the ways that we've completely missed supporting certain parts of our population because solutions are designed by and for only a small fraction. And that by allowing more of the solutions and just more employment of you know, it diversifies the solutions that are created. And so um, thank you both for the amazing work you're doing. And thanks for being with us on Money and Meaning. Thank
1: you for having us.
2: Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Money and Meaning, unlikely allies building new markets for impact with your hosts, Lindsay Smalling and Alex Kravitz. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are heard. To learn more, check out our website, socialcapitalmarkets.net. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SoCapMarkets.